Welcome to church on a beautiful Wednesday evening. Praise the Lord, we made it. So uh, tonight I have the honor of following up Pastor Matt as he uh, did a great job last week on opening up on the book Song of Songs. Tonight I will bring part two and um, we'll go to prayer in a moment. I just want to make a couple of announcements. I think he's here. Uh, Dr. Dave and Lisa Bush, today's your anniversary. Is that correct? 26 years, was I right? Oh, praise the Lord. And uh, my beautiful bride is here of 36 years, uh, Rebecca. <clears throat> and I want to encourage you. We've been pushing the marriage and parenting conference pretty hard, but here's the reality. If you're a parent, if you're married, newly married, or if you haven't even gotten married yet, engaged, dating someone, or if you've been married for 40, 50 years, you can always benefit and learn something new at a conference like this. So I just want to really challenge you tonight. Do whatever you can uh, to be here Sunday night. And by the way, Ted Cunningham, how many of you have uh, been here when Ted was here before? Let me see. Wow, not that many hands. All right, the rest of you are going to be in for a treat on Sunday morning. That man is an amazing communicator. He's funny, witty, and he, um, but he zeroes in with the Word of God, and he gives us good application, how to apply God's Word and move forward in our lives. And he'll be that primary speaker that evening. And then I also want to just mention very quickly, I am the care pastor and I think the guys are gonna throw up a quick slide for you. <clears throat> so, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out your phone and capture that address. And here's the reason why. On that care page are all kinds of fantastic, helpful re resources for people that are hurting. On that page, you can find our prayer list, our praise report. You can put in a prayer request. On that page, you can request a hospital visitation by our visitation team. On that page are other resources. There's a link from that page that takes you to the care groups. We have multiple groups that are here as a safety net designed to help you. We've got a grief share group that meets weekly to help people that have gone through a recent loss of a loved one. We've got support groups. We've got a divorce care group that's going on right now. If you've ever been through a divorce and have never gone through the, the biblical process of getting healed and restored, it's a fantastic Bible-based, Jesus-centered course. And I wanna encourage you to, to go through it. We also have a great course or group called God and the 12 Steps. It's a group that helps people that are coming out and recovering from any type of addiction. Food, sex, drugs, alcohol, any type of addiction. It's based on the Recovery Bible. Jerry and Candace Nance, the ones that are facilitating that. Jerry has come out of that environment. We've had his testimony up here before. He has written an outstanding curriculum. 
It started here and it's now being used in churches throughout the country. So we've got some great resources for you on that page. And now here's the reason why I want you to take the information. Somebody in this room or watching online, you might be at a place in your life where you need help. Maybe you need some pastoral counseling or clinical counseling. Maybe you just need someone to come alongside of you and help you through a rocky road that you're going through right now. So this might be for you. Now, here's the other point. Some of you may have already have come through some of these tough times. You've overcome them victoriously. Well, you might be very good facilitators and teachers and counselors to go back in and help people that are coming through and we can use your help. And then the third reason is I want you to have available to you a quick way to share with people in your sphere of influence help that they can find here at Faith Assembly. So you're, if you're out there somewhere and someone's saying, hey, I'm struggling with anxiety, I'm feeling pretty down, say, listen, here's our care page. You can schedule an appointment. You can go to our counseling program. We've got groups that support you, but it's a quick way for you to provide help for those around you. Now, let me get into tonight's message. Pastor Matt did a great job last week. He started the Song of Songs. The theme or subtitle that he gave us was Qualities to Look For in Mr. and Miss Wright. I could have used that about 30-something years ago, Pastor Matt. But for some of us, you could use those qualities. He talked about leaving a father and a mother, cleaving to one another, weaving threads of intimacy throughout a lifetime. I want to encourage you to go back to the archives and check out that message. It's a fantastic message. I've already gone through it. I was here, but I've already gone through it another two times. There's just so much meat in that message. There's so much in God's Word. And so you can always pull something out of it. So tonight, this is what I want us to do. I want us to press in and lean in. Listen with your ears, listen with your heart, and listen with your spirit. Whenever you come into God's house like this, this is the approach we should have. Not texting somebody, not watching something on your phone. No, pressing in. We worshiped the Lord a few minutes ago. It was powerful worship. Now we're going to press in and we're going to listen to the Lord with our ears, our heart, our spirit. We're going to ask the Lord to give us a word tonight. You should always be asking him, Lord, I need a word from you. I need to hear from you. Whether you need it or not, you still need him. You need to be close to him. Ask him for a rhema word. God's word is powerful. Tonight we're going to talk, go through Song of Songs. Some of the scripture, you're going to look at that scripture and say, well, that does not apply to me. I'm about to tell you, yes, it does apply to you. Because in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says this, the word of God is living and powerful. Living and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword 
piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. Another scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is given by God. All scripture. Not just the ones I want. All scripture. And all scripture is useful for teaching. So tonight as I share the word of God and any Wednesday night or any Sunday you're here and you're listening to the word of God, press in and ask the Lord, Lord, is this useful? It's useful for me. I want to hear your word. I want to apply it to my life. And listen, all scripture is useful for teaching and for showing people what is wrong in their lives. Now, some of us may say, no, I don't want to know what's wrong in my life. But the reality is, yes, you do want to know what's wrong in your life. Because no one wakes up. Listen, all of us want to be successful. Unless something is happening to you emotionally or psychologically, you're not waking up today, getting out of bed and saying, I want to be a failure. No. I want to succeed. I want to go forward. I want to press on. And so press in. Allow the word to show us what is wrong in our lives? What do we need to change? It is useful for correcting our faults, and we all have many faults, and teaching the right way to live. So the Word of God is powerful. Press in tonight. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a rhema word. And I'm going to give you just an advance notice like we do every service, we're gonna to close tonight's service with an altar call. We're gonna open up the altars. After hearing the word of God, you're gonna have an opportunity to respond to God's word. That response might be, Lord, I love you and I want more of you. The response might be, Lord, I need to repent. There's something wrong in my life and I need to get it right. And that's the time to repent. Turn away from that and run towards God. Or tonight, you may have a physical or emotional need, and again, the altars will be open for you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then move right into Song of Songs. Father, we come to you in the mighty and majestic name of your Son, Jesus Christ, a name that is above every other name. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth. And as your word says, it will not return void, but will go forth and accomplish what you have sent it out to accomplish. May it be so. Holy Spirit, move in this house. Touch every heart. Touch every life. Move in every person, I pray. Anoint the words now in Jesus' name. Amen. In, in 1 Kings chapter 4, Psalm 72 and 127, it's mentioned that Solomon wrote 3,000 proverbs over 1,000 songs. But what's remarkable is that Song of Songs, as Pastor Matt mentioned last week, 
This was his greatest magnus opus, which means the best of the best, the greatest of the greatest. It's his best and loveliest poem, the Song of Songs. It was his masterpiece. The Bible says that Solomon was the wisest man in all the world, in all the earth, apart from Jesus. So to say that, that this was his masterpiece, the wisest man, there must be something to that saying. We already know that the Word of God is all Scripture, is inspired by God, it's powerful and moving. So let's focus in on some of these words as we go through this chapter. The Song of Solomon should be read for what it purports to be. It's a record of the glory and the grind of marriage. The glory, the high times, and the grind, the low times of marriage. The book is made up of eight chapters, 117 verses, 2,658 words. It contains 15 different reflections written in lyric po poetry. We are encouraged to read it and read its pages as a love journal. Not from start to finish, we can do that, but it's a love journal. And uh, as we read it, we may overlap from one chapter to the other. The way it's written, it uh, celebrates romance, realism, reconciliation, purity, joy, virtue, a great virtue of self, uh, of uh, selflessness, and others-centered love. Prime virtue, an example. The song reminds us that with God, all things are possible. Even marital love in a culture that is set on destroying marriage. All things are possible with God. Even if you're in a valley right now, in your relationship with your spouse, remember those words. All things are possible with God. Song of Songs is very practical. Solomon uses imagery and word pictures throughout the book. Think about this now. Imagery and word pictures. So as we read it, we're not reading something. We are reading words, but when he wrote it, he wrote this to create a tapestry. So when he's describing certain things, he's trying to create image in our minds, and he's also trying to create word pictures. So let me give you a few examples of the language of love. I'm going to go through this. I don't know if the guys have these up. <clears throat> Let me give you these points. The real, in chapter 1, verses 15 through chapter 2 and verse 7, the pictures that are drawn for us are the reality of lovesickness. A real deal, lovesickness. Number two, how to search for a perfect mate. Chapter 2, verse 8 through 17. Another point that we find as we go through the book, security in marriage, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. 
We find how to celebrate marriage, chapter 3, verse 6 through 11. What God thinks about sex, chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 5, verse 1. We find that keeping love alive is important in chapter 5, verses 2 through 8. Rekindling the flame, chapter 5, verse 9 through 6 and verse 10. How to be your romantic husband. I, wives, you can nudge your husbands right now. Chapter 6, verse 13, 7 through 10. Planning a romantic getaway. Chapter 7, verse 10 through chapter 8, verse 9. And then staying in love. Chapter 8, verses 5 through 14. Man, there's so much meat in God's word. There's just so much we pull out of this. Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, is about a real-life romance, a real-life couple with real-life struggles and passions. She has insecurity and is trying to fit into her husband's world. As Pastor Matt said last week, she's a shepherdess, a commoner. He's a king. But he is also trying to balance the responsibilities of being a king at work and then also balance home in the midst. So it's not something that was written thousands of years ago that does not apply to us. All the truths in God's word apply to us, and we can pull from these. In the Song of Songs, we see there are struggles, arguments, miscommunications. We see how they resolve conflict, and we even see their sexual passion. Let me give you some takeaways. First one, use crisis to bring you together and not drive you apart. Use crisis to bring you together and not drive you apart. The demands of the world made this husband and wife realize how desperately they loved one another and how unbearable it would be to turn away from fulfilling the relationship that they had built. So what happens? They show us in the book. We see they take crisis, and instead of letting crisis push them apart, it brings them together. And they, they compare it. They say, wait a minute. We realize how desperately we love one another and how unbearable it would be if we were not together. Another point that we learn is we learn to love your spouse for who they are. This is found in the song. The Shulamite, a Lebanese woman, had figured out that if she wanted Solomon, she would have to take him as he was. A man who belonged to a nation and to his wife. Another point were to be intentional about married life. 
The couple went to work to make their marriage the best it could be. They worked hard at their marriage. They didn't say, okay, it's automatic. It's all going to happen. We don't need to do anything. No, they worked hard at their marriage. Um, for us, we'll use our terminology. They went to the MPC. They got involved in a couples group. They went to a grow couples class. And if they needed help, they asked and they got pastoral counseling or counseling here at the church. But they worked at their marriage. They were intentional about their marriage. And then I love this one. <clears throat> Turning resentment into resolve. The Shulamite assumed responsibility and changed what she could change. She turned resentment. Instead of growing in her, we're going to talk about this a little later, she turned it into resolve. She said, I am not going to allow this to damage our relationship or our marriage. And she took responsibility knowing that I can change things in my life, but I can't change anything or things in my spouse's life. And then another point is to be proactive. Take action and responsibility to nurture and maintain the precious gift of marriage. We talked about being intentional, but also be proactive. Don't sit back. Do everything you can to nurture your marriage, to grow your marriage, to make things better, to make things healthier. Don't, please do not sit back because the world is pushing back against you. And if you sit back, you're not just staying there, you're moving backwards. You're moving away from what God intends you to be doing. So you need to be proactive. You always need to be pressing forward in your relationship. Another thing that is found in Song of Songs, they talk a lot about sexual intimacy. This is the physical dimension of married love, honored throughout the book as healthy, and holy, and this is between a man and a woman and married. The book's honest description of the beauty of the human body and the attraction such beauty inspires greatly honors the Lord and the couple. Let me give you some scriptures, because I'm sure some of you will want to go check these out. Intimacy is mentioned in the following areas. Chapter 1, verse 9 through 15. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 15. Chapter 5, verse 10 through 16. Chapter 6, verse 4 through 7. And chapter 7, 1 through 9. Let me give you some intimacy guidelines. Okay, now, I want everybody paying attention. So I went back and looked at some of the things that we've been doing at Faith Assembly. And uh, Pastor Johnny, you were teaching premarital years ago. I think I jumped in after you. But I was able to find the numbers. Since 1997, we have brought 1,100 couples through premarital counseling. Remarkable. So we believe in healthy 
We believe in strong marriages. We believe in launching couples for success. So I'm going to give you, whenever I get a couple in my office, I've been doing this for a long time, uh, we get to the point where I say, it's time for me to give you my world-famous sex talk. And then uh, they squirm a little bit. Some don't. Sometimes the guys lean in. They go, I want to hear all of it. And then um, I say, wait a minute, it's not world-famous. It's famous sex talk. And then I go, no, it's not. It's just my sex talk. And by the way, it's G-rated. So let me give you some points. This is for premarital, for marriage. When I do marriage counseling, I go through the same thing with couples. So if you're not married yet, this is going to help you when you do get married to honor one another. But let me give you the four points. The first one is to honor God. In Genesis 1, 27 and 28, the Bible says, Pastor Matt mentioned this last week, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then look at this. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish, over the birds, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the Lord is blessing the union, the holy union of marriage. And there's a follow-up with the blessing. He says, I'm blessing you, be fruitful and multiply, and you have dominion over everything around you. Powerful. So what I tell a couple when I come in, I go, you need to honor the Lord and give God the preeminent seat in your relationship. Put God at the center of your family. It should be God, then the spouse, then the children. If you're a blended family, I apologize. We love you. But if you're blended and you're remarried, you need to remember, this is God's order. God first, then your spouse, then the children. And the blessing will flow through you into your family. So honor the Lord. Put him as the priority in everything. And number two, honor your marriage vows. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says this, and I apologize if the scriptures are not up there. But let me read it to you. Marriage should be honored by everyone. And every marriage, marriage should be kept pure between husband and wife. For God will judge guilty those who commit sexual sins and adultery. Another version says, keep the wedding bed undefiled. Keep the marriage undefiled. So what is the Lord telling us here? Honor God, but also honor your vows to one another. No adultery, no sexual sin. Uh, the Bible is very clear what we do and don't do. There's some gray areas, and I'll be happy to talk to you about the gray areas. Don't flood me with a lot of calls. But we'll get to some other options here, and I think that'll help answer those gray areas.
But the Bible is very clear about what we are not to do and what we are to do. And I want to, listen, I want to encourage a lot of couples, met with a lot of couples. You can't sit there and say, uh, we're doing this or, or this is happening. And then I, we point it out to you in the Bible and then you just don't do it. That's disobedience. That's not honoring God, but it's also not honoring each other. And now here's another one. Honor God's word. Be obedient to his word. In Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, the Bible says this. But Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And here's another one. Honor one another. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does honoring one another mean in a practical marriage? It means you do not force yourself on your spouse. You do not control your spouse. You don't try to manipulate your spouse or coerce your spouse. I know that's coming a little heavy, but I love you, and I want the best for you, and I want you to be guarded in your relationship and in the relationship with your spouse. We never force ourselves on anyone. We never force anyone to do something they don't want to do. That's that gray area. I've had guys come up to me and say, hey, listen, uh, the Bible doesn't say this, and we want to do this. And I'm like, "Uh, okay, is your wife in agreement? And she will say no. And I go, okay, you don't do it. It's that simple. I know a lot of you are not happy right now with this message. It'll get better. Trust me, it's going to get better. Be quick to forgive one another. So the four points, honor God, honor your marriage vows, honor God's word, and honor one another. Let's look into the scripture very quickly, chapter 5. The Shulamite's friends told her that Solomon was like other men, not worth the effort. The Shulamite responded, listen to this, with a list of her husband's positive attributes. She publicly affirmed her husband. With I, she told them, that we're going to go through those scriptures, she affirmed his identity, his intelligence, his individuality. She acknowledged that he was his friend. So the Shulamite did something. She affirmed her husband. She probably affirmed him privately, but now she affirms him publicly. We're going to go through these scripture, starting in chapter 5, verse 10. But as we go through this, can you imagine Solomon, who was king? He had a big head, but after he hears this, I'm sure his head's going to get double the size. Because she's affirming him publicly. Ladies, I'm giving you a secret here. You want to fill your husband's love tank? You want your husband to just turn around and say, yes, darling, whatever you want? You start uh, giving him positive affirmation instead of tearing him down. And do it publicly. Look at verse 10, chapter 5. She answers the women of Jerusalem, my lover is tanned and radiant, He could stand out among 10,000 men. 
His head is like the purest gold. His hair is curly, as black as raven. His eyes are like doves by a stream, like doves in a pool of milk, like the jewel in its setting. His cheeks are like a garden of spices, like flowers used for perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. His arms are like gold rods filled with jewels. His body is like smooth ivory with sapphires set in it. Hey, she's pumping him up right now. She's building that guy up. His legs are like marble pillars on bases of fine gold. He stands tall like the finest cedar tree in Lebanon. Yes, she says, women of Jerusalem. <laughs> she turns around and she tells him, women of Jerusalem, my lover, my lover is everything I desire. His mouth is the sweetest of all. This is my lover. This is my darling. Whoa. Now that's some affirmation. My, my darling is taking copious notes over there. I know. Oh, no, I, she knows. So let me ask you this question. She spoke like this to him. How do we speak to our spouse? Or loved one? How do we speak to them? Positive? Negative? Do we build them up? Or do we tear them down? Here's your takeaway for this. Speak life over your spouse. Use kind and gracious words. Positive, uplifting, and loving words. How do you think Solomon felt after this? How would you feel? Hey, I, don't, I may not be able to walk through a door. My head will be so... Uh... <laughs> so here's the thing. Public positive affirmation is massive when it comes to filling your emotional tank, and especially for men. Ladies, I'm giving you some insights here for men. In chapter 6, we'll move on. The romance continues. This journal of love as we peel some more scriptures out. The Shulamite, she says, My beloved has gone to his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed his flocks in the gardens, and to gather lilies. Remember, it's, it's imagery, imagery. I know it's describing something, but she's, he's, Solomon is creating a beautiful word picture for us. And then look what she says. Again, verbal. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. And then she says he feeds his flocks among the lilies. Going down to verse 4, Solomon showed that he knew what his wife needed from him. This is some insight. Husbands, we need to know what our wives need from us. Not what we think they need. No, we need to know what they need from us. So we need to ask them. So what he did is he's choosing, as he describes her, her beauty. He chooses three different images to describe her. Um, he talks first about Tirzah. It's esteemed for its simple agricultural beauty. Then he talks about Jerusalem, known for its majestic elegance. 
Then he talks about army with banners representing the exhilaration of a regal procession. Now, as I read that, I thought those would not be my words. But Solomon knew what his wife needed. And now look what he says in verse 4. Oh, my love, you are as beautiful as Tirzah, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn your eyes away from me, for they have overcome me. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep which have come up from the washing. Everyone bears twins, and none is barren among them. Like a piece of pomegranate are your temples behind your veil. Verse 7, your neck is like an ivory tower, your eyes like the pools of Heshbon, by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. You know, I would get in trouble if I said some of that stuff to my wife tonight. I, I, yes, I would be in trouble. But it's remarkable. What did he do? He knew what she needed. He knew where she was from. And he painted this beautiful picture for her. Um, I'm not going to read the rest of the stuff, but in chapter, later in chapter 7, the stuff gets pretty sexy as she responds to him. So whatever he said, it probably sparked something in her. And so um, it's important to remember now, ladies, affirm your husbands, positive talk, and men, women need words of affirmation, but you also need to talk to them and find out what those words of affirmation are. You're not mind readers. Need to go to your wife or spouse and say, what are the words of affirmation that I need to give you to make you feel valued and honored and loved? So after reading this scripture, what do we see? There's an old idiom. It says, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And Sol Solomon was beholding something beautiful for him. But let me, add, let me remind us all how we should look at people, how we should look at our spouse, how we should look at those around us. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When you look at your spouse or your loved one, what do you see? What do you see? You see Jesus? You see the heart of the Lord? What do you see? I see when I look at my beautiful wife, Mirena Hermosa. That's my beautiful queen. And then when she looks at me, all right, I, 
I hope I don't mess up now. <laughs> I am her galan de novela. <laughs> oh, you know what that means. Fantastic. Explain that to somebody else around you. We can talk this way. We're, we're family. Hermanos, hermanas, de barrio. We're all from the same neighborhood. We're all from this part. We're part of this family. It's okay to have conversations like this. Listen, there's nothing embarrassing. There's nothing talk about, tough about speaking God's truth and expressing his truth. Apart from our relationship with God, there is no more important relationship than that of a husband and a wife. A loving, healthy, deeply committed, Christ-centered marriage has a massive impact on everyone around them. There is a ripple effect that touches children, grandchildren, friends, neighbors, the church, the community, and even the spiritual realm. The lasting impact of Christ-centered marriage inspires future generations. We must guard and protect marriages. Amen. We must, as, as married couples, we must carefully identify and prayerfully address potential problems as they arise. We need to guard and protect our marriage. We're to watch out for the foxes. Pastor Matt, you, uh, that was part of your uh, last week. I'm not sure if you hit this scripture or not, but it's found in Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 15. Listen to this. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in blossom. Foxes will attack a vineyard and wipe it out very quickly. They come in packs. They start first one or two, and then all of a sudden you'll see a pack of them come. Remember, Samson gathered some foxes, tied their tails together, put fire to them, and he set them loose, and they burned all the wheat and caused a lot of mayhem and destruction. So what is Solomon telling us here? Watch the foxes. Listen to this. We cannot afford to allow little foxes to come into our marriage vineyard and destroy it. Little foxes like resentment, unforgiveness, pride, selfishness, neglect, abuse, and more. We have to guard against these, and we have to move quickly, aggressively against these. And I want to encourage you, if there are some foxes attacking you in your life, in your marriage, deal with them. We're going to open up the altars in a few minutes. Tonight's the night. You come forward and you say, Lord, I need you to help me deal with these foxes. I need you to help me in my relationship with my wife or my husband. Or more yet, maybe you just need to come and sit at his feet and pour your love on him tonight. In chapter 8, I'd never seen this before. I've read this book many, many times. This last two weeks, I probably read it eight or ten times, over and over and over. But listen, this is remarkable. Uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, talks about love, the love chapter. Love is, and he goes on to say some things. In chapter 8, Solomon talks about love. 
and he clusters it in these beautiful attributes. In verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 5, he said, uh, love is stable. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? In chapter 8, verse 6, he's secure and strong. Keep me near you like a seal you wear over your heart, like a signet ring you wear on your hand. Love is as strong as death. Passion is as strong as the grave. Its sparks become a flame and it grows to become a great fire. So love is stable. Love is secure. Love is strong. The next verse, 8-7. Uncompromising and sacrificial. Love is unyielding. It's sacrificial. A flood cannot put out love. Rivers cannot drown love. Would people despise a man for giving everything he owns for love? And verse 8, 8 through 10. Love is self-controlled. In those verses, the Shulamite talks about when she was young, she was chaste and a virgin, and she kept herself pure. And then as she got older uh, and prepared to marry Solomon, she was still chaste. But in those young years, she was protected by her family and brothers and those around us. And then selflessness. Solomon, in uh, chapter 8, verse 11 through 12, Solomon had a vineyard. Uh, he put men in charge of the vineyard. Each man brought in grapes worth a thousand shekels of silver. The Shulamite says to Solomon, you can keep your thousand shekels, give 200 shekels to each man for the grapes he bought, brought, but I will keep my own vineyard. So this is the love from God's perspective, a pure love that flows from his heart, stable, secure, strong, uncompromising, sacrificial, self-controlled, and selfless. <clears throat> Pastor John, will you come up? We prepare to close. Let me tell all of you, <clears throat> and all of us, God's love is a response from hearts that are in obedience to him. God's love is a response from hearts in obedience to him. We must respond to his love. Although when we're saved or when we're even here tonight, we expect love to gush or flow out of us, it does not come out naturally. We must work at it. We must approach God. His love overflows us. It flows into us and out of us, out of our relationship and intimacy with him. We must first be filled with him and his love before we can love ourselves or others. Tonight, you are not commoners. You are royalty. You are God's masterpiece. He created you and knows every part of you. He knows your desires. He knows your struggles, your hurts, your pains, your needs. He loves you and is drawing you into closer, more intimate relationship with him. He is singing a song to you. It's a love song 
and it was written for you and for your heart. Look at me. I'm going to close with these words and then I'm going to let Pastor John come up and finish out the night. This is the word of the Lord. It's found in scripture and I'm his messenger to you tonight. I'm his voice, his oracle, his prophet. I have loved you with an everlasting love. With loving kindness, I am drawing you to me. Come, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you tonight.